Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. I'm looking forward to that. Thank you for being here this morning. We have made it. It's the final week of Revelation. We're done. We're out after this. Can you believe it? It's been a awesome eight weeks. So I want to thank you, commend you. Y'all have done a wonderful job. This, is, this has been the most intense study that we've done in the history of the church. Decided church. I mean, Revelation chapter by chapter. It's been intense. It's blessed me. I hope it's blessed you and thank you for studying with me. Y'all have been reading along. Y'all have even been doing this book in your groups. So I commend you and I thank you for that. Hopefully, it's my prayer and it's my goal that you're walking out with a little more swagger with revelation now. You're walking out with a little more confidence, whereas you might have been intimidated or confused or like, what's going on here? But now you're able to say, all right. I've been given some visions for the victor and that victor is me and I'm walking out. I know who wrote the end of the book. I know what happens at the end of the story and I win. So we want to give you that confidence and hopefully over these eight weeks, uh, we've instilled a little bit of hope, a little bit of courage, a little bit of a vision for you to grab a hold of, to anchor down, to build your life on this morning and now we come to the end so this is revelation 19 through 22 we've made it and uh i I don't know about you but the weather this week not today but the weather this week has made me look forward to a lot of things uh it's just been spring fever weather i mean i just want to go outside and plant things i want to go to the beach i want to do poolside cookouts i want to listen to country music i want to have you know, like nights out on the deck. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's made me feel like summer in South Carolina is on the horizon. Amen. I'm looking forward to that. If you're like my wife, all she's looking forward to is the next time she can take Zyrtec or Claritin. So if that's you this morning, my wife understands the pain and I, I, I feel for you. I'm, I'm with you there. I know what it's like, but I love having something to look forward to. Anybody got a personality like that? just want, you just need, and I mean, it can be good and bad. It can be kind of unhealthy when you're just always on to the next thing. But in some ways it's good. It gives you hope, right? It gives you vision. It gives you something to live for, having something to look forward to. I know for us, we're going to the beach for a week in May and that's what I got my sights on, right? The, the, the finish line is May. If I make it to May and enjoy the beach and then I'll come up with a new something to look forward to after that. But to put that in biblical language, the Bible word for that is longings. Longings. Romans 8 talks about that. So what you're feeling is biblical. I'm going I'm to affirm your, your emotions this morning. What you're feeling is right. It's good. It's biblical. Romans 8 says that all of creation groans for the day when we will be made whole, Paula. For the day when we will be ultimately restored and renewed, Romans 8. Today, we come to the end. We come to the last chapter of the book. 
And this is that eternal state where all of our longings, all of our looking forward to's are completely satisfied, completely fulfilled. Anybody ever been reading a good book and you skip to the end and you read how it ends? I'm not naming any names, but anybody like that? I got to find out uh, before my emotions get too invested. I got to know because if he leaves her, uh -uh, I'm not doing this. I'm not putting my emotions through the ringer. Maybe it's like a mystery and you have to find out like who done it. You got to go to the back. All right, now that I know who committed the crime, I'll go back and read the shame on you. That's cheating. But we all do it. This morning, I want to encourage you. This is the only book nobody can fault you for reading the end first. This is the one book you can read the end. You can see how the story ends. And everybody ought to be jazzed out of their mind that in the book is in and the chapter is closed. We win. We are the victors. Jesus reigns. And so that is the confidence that I'm trying to instill for us. Those are the visions for the victor, not the defeated one. Not the church on the retreat, but these are visions for the victor. We all hope in our own unique way for that happily ever after moment for our own lives. So we search it out. We look for it in stories that we read. The Bible is that one book where we get to read the ever after moment before it happens and that ever after moment, I want to propose to you this morning, it's not a happily ever after moment. It's much better than that. This ever after moment is a hallelujah ever after moment. This ever after eternity that I read about at the end of my Bible is a holy, holy ever after. And I'm going to explain that in a little bit. But let's, I can think of no better way to end this study than to go ahead and read the end of the book. Let's do it. Let's read the end of the story. Let's see how it ends. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I'm going to read chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible. And I'm going to pick it up in verse eight and read through the end. This is what it says. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that for I'm a fellow servant with you. And your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. I, I love that. If you're a student of the Bible, you know that that's a fulfillment of Daniel 12 when he says, seal it up. It's not done. We're not ready. Seal up the book. Well, now we see that he's encouraged to leave it open. The end is here. Read about it. Study it. Leave the book open. Don't seal it up. Let the evil doer, verse 11, let the evil doer still do evil and the filthy still be filthy and the righteous still do right and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon. Bringing my recompense with me. Y'all better catch up with Eddie. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega. Great tattoo idea. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes. Hey, if you're a believer this morning, if you're found in Christ, that has already happened for you. Your robes have been washed, you're white, spotless, ready to be presented as the bride of Christ. Verse 14, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs. Georgia, bulldog variety. And the sorcerers, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The Bible does not say that, I'm sorry. 
the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. That's you and me. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star, the spirit and the bride. Who's the bride? Us. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take of the water of life without price. Amen. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Let's pray. God, help us to learn what you want us to learn on the way out from this book, that as we close this book, we will open a new level of victorious living in our heart. As we end the final chapter of the Bible, that we will begin a confident and courageous lifestyle. And I pray that this book, this study, will do nothing more, nothing less than build up the confidence of the church and what is she has been called to do on this earth. May you rule and reign in this house today. May you rule and reign in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, let's get after it. Four chapters. We've, uh, it's been some March Madness with this NCAA tournament, but we have a final four of our own. Come on, somebody. I worked hard on that. We have the final four chapters on our own. Thank you. Thank you, Bailey. <laughs> I worked hard on that. So, okay, so. Revelation 19 through 22, the final four chapters of the Bible, it shows us the ever after that you were created for. It's not a happily ever after, it's a hallelujah ever after in chapters 19 and 20. And then when we get to 21 and 22, John, it's a holy, holy ever after. And here's how I spell that. You see it on the screen, hallelujah ever after, and then a holy holy ever after. It's when all of creation is redeemed and renewed and restored in the presence of Jesus forever. That's a holy, holy ever after. So why is this? Why am I asking you today to surrender your happily ever after for this one? Why am I asking you to be vulnerable? Maybe it's, it's a little scary for the story that you've written for your life the script that you've planned out, the dreams, the desires that you have. I'm asking you to surrender that. I'm asking you to submit that and let go of it for a much better ever after that God has intended, prepared, that our hearts are longing for and we don't even know it. Hallelujah ever after. Why is this? Because chapter 19 tells us about two things. The reason why it's a hallelujah moment is because we have the final wedding feast of the Lamb the final marriage supper, and then we also have final victory over our enemy. Do you know that there's a reality coming where Satan does not exist? Do you understand there's a reality that's coming very soon, Mark, where temptation does not even exist? It's not a thing. I am looking forward to that moment. 
But first, the final wedding feast of the Lamb. Can I read six through nine for you just to paint a picture, just to give you a vision for the victor? It says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters. We sang about this. And like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. God's showing off, crying out, what? Happily? Everybody be happy? No, it says, hallelujah. For the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice. That's our attitude. Let us exalt, that should be our mentality, and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. What a beautiful picture, reality that this will be. I got a question for you, and you can, we're family, so you can just be real with me. Are there any hopeless desires represented in the room? Something that did not come to pass, unfulfilled dreams. Empty hope, I see it. Unmet expectations. I have those. I have things that I thought on the script, the story of my life that I thought things were gonna go this way and it was gonna be perfect and this was gonna happen and that career was gonna happen and I would make this move and it was pulled like a rug right from under my feet and I didn't have anywhere to land. I didn't have anywhere to fall. So there's a lot of brokenness in this heart on stage. There's a lot of unmet. There's a lot of false. There's a lot of emptiness represented on the stage. Can I give you good news today? What this marriage represents is every unmet expectation, every false hope, every unfulfilled dream will be dissolved in the light of his glory and grace. This is the ultimate hallelujah ever after stories because when Christ comes as our bridegroom and we are joined with him and we see him face to face and we are beholding his glory, everything else will fade away. Do you have struggles in this life? I do. Do you have trials, anxieties that seemingly have no answer? I'm reminded of the words of the Apostle Paul. Jesus gave him a thorn in the flesh that seemingly he could not get earthly victory over until he was completely restored. Anybody like that? Like, I'm not going to call it a thorn in the flesh, but I got something I'm carrying. I got a brokenness that's so deep. I... I know that they say there's victory in Jesus, but I haven't seen it in this life. I know they say there's hope and eternity and I can experience breakthrough, but I haven't felt that yet in this life. Anybody, I'm not talking about temporary things. I'm talking about some permanent, deep-rooted issues that you feel like are just going to be with you until you go to the grave. We all do. What I'm trying to tell you is that this moment when we meet Jesus as our bridegroom, we will be restored. Every broken part of you will be made whole. Everything that you think might be wrong with you will be perfected. That is the marriage supper of the lamb. And you didn't do anything to pull up a chair to that table. You didn't earn a spot. This, this is a marriage supper that the invite was extended to you freely. You just got to take it. It's called faith. This is the final answer. This is what you can look forward to. This is the complete satisfaction. This is the rejoice moment. This is the hallelujah ever after moment. For me, there's a week at the end of November, usually the last Thursday, I don't know. You do the math. Last Thursday of November, when I experienced something so full, 
so amazing. And it's one of those things where you just kind of have to push away from the table, loosen the belt hole, give God the glory. It's the most amazing, satisfied feeling after Thanksgiving. If Thanksgiving is not your favorite holiday, you're not saved. We'll talk about that later. But, but th the meal at Thanksgiving, the supper, Paul, you know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about dinner. The Yankees can have their dinner. I'm talking about supper. Supper. This is the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is one of those full, satisfied, perfect meal moments when we are joined with Christ forever. And that's the satisfaction you can't put a price tag on. That is a earthly fulfillment that we don't have words for because we haven't experienced it yet. The closest thing is Thanksgiving. But Matt Chandler says, God forms and anchors his people around tables. I love that. Think of it, Passover, the Lord's table, communion, Psalm 23. The Lord forms and anchors his people around tables. Meals are meant for remembering. Meals are meant for empowerment. And we don't know how to do that. He says, because we don't understand feasting, we're famished for it. I believe that. How many, when's the last time you gathered with your family around the supper table and had a meal together? I know. We don't understand feasting anymore. That's why we're famished for it. That's why we long for it. God anchors and forms his people around meals in the Bible. And the thing about it is, every time you read about a biblical meal, the devil, soon after that, the devil gets a spanking. Think about it. Passover and all of Egypt's army is buried in the Red Sea. Think about communion and what that means for Satan's ultimate eternity. Think about Psalm 23 when it says, I prepared a table in the presence of my enemies. So every time God's people get around good food and good fellowship around a table, the devil gets nervous. Don't underestimate the holiness of that mealtime. In our family, it looks as simple as this. We've been doing this for about six months and we get to dinner and we do a very simple thing just to help train our children. We do highs and lows. And we go around the table. Everybody shares the highlight of their day. And everybody shares the low point of their day, no matter what it is. Highs, and the kids grab onto it. And they're way more passionate about it than the adults. But Finley is spouting off stuff I've never heard of. Like last year I did this and last year I did that. And it's fine. And Granger's even babbling stuff. But the point is... When we get back to the table, we, we remember the goodness of God and we're empowered for Christian living. We got to do this life together around good food. You're saying amen. I can see it. <laughs> That's good. Hey, he is a great cook if you didn't know that already. So we have this final wedding feast of the Lamb. But number two, we have final victory over our enemy. We have the second coming of Jesus. And this brings a lot of confusion, and, I'm, and I would propose to you that the most confusing chapter in Revelation, the one that has been debated the most, is chapter 20. So let's just read a piece of it in verses 1 through 3. I'll present three views, and you can decide what you want. And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years, verse three, and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, 
he must be released for a little while. Let me tell you what's going on. So in chapter, the end of chapter 19, the Antichrist, which the Bible also refers to as the beast, well, he's captured at the second coming of Jesus. He's thrown into the eternal, everlasting lake of fire. He's gone. Nobody can be deceived by him. He can't accuse anybody. He can't falsely claim to be worshiped like Jesus. He's done. And then the false prophet, that spirit of religion, that, that Babylon woman that we described last week, well, she's captured and thrown into the lake of fire also. So two out of the three of that false trinity have been eliminated forever. And God saves that old devil, the serpent, Satan. He saves him for last. He isolates Satan. He captures him. And then the Bible says that he's released for a little while. And what we have basically is the battle of Armageddon is Satan's last hurrah. It's his last moment where he thinks he might have a chance at victory. And in a moment, he's captured, fire falls, and he's thrown into the everlasting lake of fire forever. Satan gone, over, done. Satan dies. And then we have this thing that a lot of believers get hung up on called the millennial reign. And I just want to present to you the three most common interpretations of that. And I'll let you pick where you land. I, I have my own opinion. I'm not pushing it on you, but I'm going to show you why I believe what I believe. The first one is pre-millennialism. Can everybody say that with me? Ooh. Man, the 830 might have it on you guys by a little bit. Let's try it again. Premillennialism. Okay, this is a futurist view. You did better. In which Christ returns before the millennium, but after the great tribulation. But then there's a plot twist. Within the premillennial camp, there are also pre-tribulation premillennialists that modify that Christ will not only return before the millennium, but he will rapture his church from earth before the tribulation. So, and I was raised this way. I was raised in a Baptist church. So what we would do when we would write out this chart, we would put a little U or a little J-shaped arrow right there before the words apostasy, tribulation, antichrist, Armageddon. There'd be a little U-shaped arrow symbolizing the fact that we're out of here. We're gone. And you may believe that. And Eddie, that's, that is Eddie's bona fide stance. And I appreciate it. And I love you, brother. And here's the point is that when we're all caught up, when all this goes down and Christ returns, if he's right and I'm wrong, it's going to be thumbs up, dude. Because at the end of the day, Jesus returns. That's the main point is that Jesus returns and he's coming back for his bride. The second view is called post-millennialism. This is a futurist view in which Christ returns after the millennium which is the final stage of human history before judgment and eternity. So this is another chart. It looks a little different because we've got the millennium coming after the second coming. Oh no, this is, can we go to post-millennialism? I'm sorry, this is pre-millennialism. The next one is post-millennialism, maybe, in the name of Jesus. Basically, just move, just move. The, oh, there it goes. So that second coming, the cloud with the lightning bolt, it moves to the right because this view teaches that Jesus returns at the second coming, but the church aid goes through the tribulation. This is a futurist view, which Christ returns after the millennium, which is the final stage of human history before judgment and eternity. And then you have the third and final view of the millennial reign. It's called amillennialism. And this is a belief 
Hopefully we'll have a picture. Yep, there's a picture up there. This is the belief that when Revelation speaks of a thousand-year reign of Christ, it refers to Christ's reign over his people now. Like now would be the kingdom age, which began with his first advent. That would be, would be what we think of as Christmas and is completed with his second advent, which is the second coming. That the church age is the millennium and that Satan is either currently bound or limited as the gospel advances throughout the world. That's amillennialism. And listen, you can take the Bible and find passages that might back up any of the three. So you're entitled to think what you want on this one. At the end of the day, I want you to keep the main thing the main thing. We're all going to the same place with the same king. That is the ultimate reality. I land here because in my adult life, as I've studied the scripture and I compare scripture with scripture, I find that I feel like scripture backs up this view the most. I find that this thousand years is symbolic of the church age now that we're meant to advance the gospel, that this is the kingdom age, as Jesus said, uh, literally almost a thousand times throughout the gospel, as he said, now is the kingdom. Many other instances throughout scripture, he says, upon his arrival on earth and the beginning of his earthly ministry, he references as Satan as bound. So that's why I land where I land on this view. But I'm going to love you, brother and sister in Christ, when we get to heaven one day. Okay, that's it. So the final death, the beast, the false prophet, Satan, and now death itself dies. And anyone whose name is not written in the book of life has chosen to reject Christ. The second death was not meant for you and me. I want you to hear me. Because people will back you into a corner on this. Hell, the lake of fire... Everlasting punishment was not meant for you and me. It was not created for us. Jesus said that, Matthew 25, 14. He says, I have created eternal torment for Satan and his angels, for the beast, the false prophet, and Satan himself. So we've got to understand that this point, having gone through the tribulations, having gone through these plagues that we've studied, that anybody who has not softened but hardened their approach to God has willfully chosen to reject him. That anyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, it is because they have willfully chosen not to come to Christ. And we have read about his mercy over and over and over throughout this book that he extends that mercy, that he extends that invitation, that seat at the table, that place at the marriage supper of the lamb. So remember that. I want, here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. He put it this way. I thought it, I mean, it's good for a reason. At the end of time, you will either say to God, thy will be done, or he will say to you, thy will be done. I think that's a pretty accurate description of what's going on here at the end of Revelation 20. But for you, saint, for you, believer, church, Christian child of God, follower of Jesus, think about the ultimate reality in which we will live where there is no longer false prophet, there is no longer beast, there is no longer Satan himself, and there is no longer even death. Death itself dies and is thrown forever into the lake of fire. A world without Satan, a world without temptation, a world without death, crying, sickness, pain, suffering, anxiety. That's the future that we have in Christ. So not only do we have a hallelujah ever after, but I want to show you in the last two chapters a holy, holy 
ever after. And that begins in chapter 21 with Jesus's creation being made whole, his earth being renewed. Let me show you in verses three through five. You might recognize some of these verses from Sunday school church, a funeral, some sermon on heaven, and take comfort in these words. These are for you. This, this is reality. This is real. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Don't you know that was the purpose all along? Even as far back as the Garden of Eden, God has been trying to get with his creation and walk in community and fellowship with them. God will be with me. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be their God. Keep going in verse four. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Verse five. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. The earth is redeemed. The bride returns and Eden is restored. When you imagine heaven, you think of these verses in your mind. Our bodies will be holy, whole. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more disease, no more sadness, no more pain, no more suffering will be unheard of. Mental torment will be unheard of. Anxiety will be unheard of. Migraines will be unheard of. Aches and pains will be gone forever. ACLs will be fully functioning in Jesus' name. Those of you who work really hard at staying in shape, there's coming a day where you won't have to work out anymore. Amen? That's right. Brandon's got it. Let's go see him for the glorified body. So the Bible, I love this. The Bible begins and ends with creation. Think of that. The very first moments of scripture, God is breathing out into existence, the earth, the sea, everything in it. And it ends the same way. He's breathing out newness. He's restoring what he originally designed. He's making all things new. Think of what's the most beautiful place you have ever seen on this earth. Sunset on the beach, maybe a sunrise in the mountains, Rocky Mountains, Grand Canyon, Yellowstone. I mean, who's the most beautiful place you've ever seen? I want you to picture that in your mind and realize that will be perfect. As good as that is, that will be renewed and made holy, holy. That's a crazy thought. It's um, one of the, these, uh, one of these old guys, I don't know it's somewhere in here. August, okay, he's, I found him, he's here. Augustine Mathanasius. He's one of those very early church fathers. He said this, if these are the beauties afforded sinful men, what does God have in store for those who love him? You got to know this. You got to understand this from Revelation 21. You got to understand this. He does not concede the earth to the enemy. He redeems it. He takes this earth back and he renews it. That's the thing you have to look forward to is a final and forever Eden. Understand this. In Revelation 21, the Bible says two times that that holy city, that new Jerusalem, descends out of heaven on earth. 
So your forever, your eternity is not up there in the clouds forever in a diaper playing a harp. I don't know about you, but that's not really a forever that I, that I jive with anyway. I'm just going to be honest. That's not really a wonderful picture of eternity. I get kind of anxious about that. Like, who's going to change me? Like, what, what if I don't know how to play the harp? What if I fall through the cloud? What happens then? Like Peter on the water, right? What if I don't have enough faith to sit on the cloud? You got to understand that your forever eternity is here on this earth, but it is renewed, glorified, and perfect. Heaven comes down. So everything that you do in this life, it matters. Every uniqueness that God created you with, it matters. Every gifting, every talent, every ability that he enabled you with, it matters because it will be that but perfect. Uh, These verses are not on the screen, but I got to read them to you in Revelation 21, verse 24. By its light, speaking of the new earth, this new city, by its light, the nations will walk. And think of this, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. Again, speaking of these nations, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nation. So what pre-existed on this earth will be brought into the holy city that forever Eden, but it will be perfected. So think of this. Every good thing on earth now will be made perfect. Art, music, culture, food, technology, science, inventions. That stuff isn't going away, folks. We are, we are ruling and reigning with Christ over the nations. That means that all of these things, all everything, the, the good pieces of culture that God designed and put in us, those are brought into this holy city and perfected. That forever Eden is here. I love that. I, I get jazzed about that because that makes, that makes sense now. It's not this nebulous utopia in the clouds. No, forever eternity is here in a perfected and forever Eden. The last reason why this is a holy, holy forever is that his holiness is eminent. He is coming soon. His return is near. I'm going to read to you verses 3 through 7 of Revelation 22. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more, and they will have no need of a lamp or sun, for the Lord their God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. That dominion that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden That is the eternal purpose of mankind on this earth. Verse six, and he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent an angel to show his servants was what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. For the first time we will see his face. That was a glory too holy for Moses to look at, remember? But even the shadow of God's face lit him up. His face glowed. A light so bright that Paul fell and never fully recovered his eyesight. A glory so holy that the Bible says even the angels cover their faces with their wings. A glory 
so holy, but we will see him because we will be like him. Did you know that? In a glorified presence, we will be as holy as him. We will be dressed and clothed in his righteousness. We will see him face to face. And the only way that's possible, folks, is for us to be perfected. The psalmist David puts it this way. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. God will dwell with man in an eternal Eden. This was his intention. This was his desire all along. I'm reminded of an old hymn that I grew up with in the Baptist church. It's called Finally Home, and I love the lyrics of the chorus. It goes, but just think of stepping on shore and finding it heaven, of touching a hand and finding it God's, of breathing new air and finding it celestial, of waking up in glory and finding it home. Can you imagine? Can you picture that? I love how this book begins and ends with Jesus. He says three times in chapter 22 that, Behold, I am coming soon. And this was written to churches in AD 97, Maggie. So we are 1,927 years closer to his return than they were. And if he told them he was coming soon, his, his return isn't soon anymore, it's imminent. Like we're on the cusp of it. He could return at any moment. And what is our job? I love how Revelation ends with this invitation. We'll close with it this morning. In chapters uh, 22, verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who's thirsty come. And let the one who desires to take of the water of life without price. The book and the story literally ends with the open invitation to dine at this table with Jesus forever. It can't get better than that. Like it be, the story begins and ends with Jesus. The story begins and ends with an invitation. He's saying, listen, you can't earn a seat at this table. You, you, can't, you can never deserve to drink of this water of life, but I'm asking you to come anyway. I'm asking you to get in on this. The book ends with this perfect invitation to come dine at a table we don't deserve to sit at, to be clothed with robes of righteousness in place of our dirty rags, to find ourselves under the blood when it should have been our death on the cross, to call Jesus Savior and King when we ought to deserve to call him Judge. But that is a reality that you can have this morning. That's, that's an invitation that's meant for you this morning. You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to join a church. You don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. Jesus says, come on. If you're thirsty, that's the only qualification. Come on. If you need it, I've got more. If you're in, if you're in the mood for my mercy and my grace, come on. It's ever flowing, overflowing from the cross. And that, my friends, is our job as the church. To use Dane's word, this is our commissioning. The Bible ends with the Great Commission. Did you understand that? And we talk about it here at Decided Church all the time. We say our mission statement is to invite the one to come and see and go and tell the story of Jesus. How are you doing with that? The Bible says that the spirit and the bride say, come on. 
We're to be busy on the highways and byways pleading for those people to come in on this, be a part of this. The water of life has changed me forever and I want you to experience it too. It's free. It's without price. A fulfillment of Isaiah 55, 1. That our Savior, our Lamb that was slain took our place so that we could get in on this table at His spot. What's your ever after? look like? I don't know the one that you've written. I don't know the one that you've conjured up in your mind that might be busted up and broken like mine was. I was all sorts of confused, not knowing who I was, not knowing where to go. Futures that I thought I had ruined, careers, relationships that I thought I'd messed up in a million pieces. But that's when the Father God through the person Jesus. Come on, Jim. You don't deserve a seat at this table, but here it is anyway. Have, have my robe. Have my place. Take the weight of this world. Take the expectations off you. Take the weight of this world off you. Come drink of this water freely. There's grace here. There's mercy here in time of need. And so I'm going to ask you this morning one more time, whatever you're ever after is, would you surrender it for a better one? Whatever the story is that you've told yourself, these storylines that play through your head, for some of us, it might be plaguing us. That will never measure up. All those expectations and labels and identities that just shoes too big to feel, it's, 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 it's a weight that's too heavy to bear. When Jesus is saying, come sit down, have a meal. I want to treat you like my son, because you are. I want to treat you like my daughter, because you are. Come and drink of this water of life. And when you've tasted it, go and tell somebody. I love the discipleship here in verse 17 where it says, and the one who hears says, come. So we're meant to pass it on down the line. Will you surrender your ever after for this one? Let's pray. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe that's you today, and you just want to take a big sigh of relief because the weight that you're shouldering, nobody was intended to carry. The expectations put on you from family or education or job, boss, it's too much. It's crippling. Maybe it's the burden that you've put on yourself to be better, do better, hustle, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make it, do better than they did, change the generation, that narrative of self-help can be so damning. And so I'm inviting you, if, if I'm inviting you with all your brokenness, with all your pieces, with all the mess, with all the skeletons in the closet, I'm inviting you to come sit at this table beside me. I was broken. I was beyond repair until Jesus found me. The Father came in. And he pursued me with his reckless love. He turned me around. He set my feet on a rock. 
And I'm only standing here by the grace and mercy of God that I do not deserve. And it's life-changing. It's freedom-giving. This is a hallelujah ever after that I can rejoice and exalt the name of God. And I want you in on this. Will you come? Will you see this for yourself? With every head bowed, every eye closed, just say something like this. Jesus, I am leaving my ever after for your better one. I'm taking Jesus at his word. I'm asking him to be my savior in Jesus' name. If anybody prayed that prayer, would you just slip up in your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. I just want to pray for you. Amen. I see your hand there and there. I see your hand in your hand. I see a hand over there. Amen. God will make all things new. And you know the beautiful part of that that we didn't get to read? Right after he says, I'm going to make all things new, the very next, next verse says, it is done. If you just called on the name of the Lord, it is done. It's done. He's made you new. In this moment, right here and now, by faith through Jesus, you have been made new. Christian, maybe you needed that reminder of the, the ever after that's really real, the one that's coming for you. Maybe you need to shake off those old dusty boots and get a little pep in your step, a little swagger back, a little confidence back. You have been called a victor. Don't let the devil get you down. Don't let him call you names. Don't let him put labels on you that don't belong. Our job is to tell others. Our job, once we've tasted and seen, once we've drank of the water of life, we're supposed to pass that on and invite others. So I, I'm, I'm going to make this real practical. We've got an Easter service coming up in two weeks from today out of the land at 1017 Bickley. It's a big old open tent. We got room for everybody and their mother and brother. So who are you inviting? Who's on your next 10 list to come and tell, hey, I want you in on this. This, this water of life has changed me. I want it for you. Will you come with me? Grab some Easter invites on your way out. Make this a daily practice. Make it a habit of sharing your faith, telling others, inviting others around you. We can talk about it in the church house. Hey, it's our mission statement. We got to talk about it, but we can be about it. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do. Surrender your ever after for this better one. God, give us the courage and the strength, the confidence to walk away from this book and begin brand new things.